Welcome to The Blind Spot with Patrick and Dr. Greg. We have such a great interview scheduled today. Uh, Jesse Kelly, nationally syndicated radio personality. What an insane story. He, he hasn't taken the safe path. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say that with you as well. And there, there are very few people that I, I run into, and, and whether as a therapist or in business, most people take the safe way. And they, they take a very cautious route through life. Um, you didn't. You you have put yourself out there, and and with the handicaps that you're very open about talking about, um, you haven't taken that safe path, and and that that's a great story in itself. But with Jesse, I think it's fascinating that he kept putting himself out there in positions where he could fail epically, and and did, and 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 yeah, totally. right. I mean, when you put yourself out there and you run for Congress, you are going to get a 24/7 colonoscopy, and. <laughs> And, and he did, and he yeah. took it, and he took it like a man, right? Yep. And I think that, you know, those people are people that you look at and we should be looking at and learning some life lessons from. Hang on, guys. This is a really good episode. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, we're, uh, we're excited to have Jesse Kelly on the show today. Sometimes you see it coming. Sometimes you don't. I was called in the Friday before Christmas, and I was told they were letting me go. My husband of 22 years came home the day after our daughter's graduation and told me he had only stayed all this time for the kids. Significant life changes can come fast and without warning. It's what you do next that matters. I mean, nothing changes your life more than a diagnosis like that. But eight years later in remission, and honestly, I'm having the best year of my entire career. And then I went home and I collapsed and I cried and I sobbed and I screamed and I wailed and I'm like, okay, I got to find a job. Not a single door open. Until the day when it happens to you, you should always be asking yourself, what's in your blind spot? Featuring Patrick Lennon and Dr. Greg Sinema. Jesse, welcome to the Blind Spot Podcast with Patrick and Dr. Greg. Really, really pumped to have you on. Your story is remarkable. I um, want to introduce you to Dr. Greg, who is a PhD in psychology, my business partner and, and friend over the years. Um, but Greg, I think, knows your show and has, has worked with you on some business stuff, too. So Yeah, it's great to uh, get to talk to you in, in, in a non-business sense, Jesse. Yes, it's always nice to break away from the business world for a few. <laughs> it, it is. So, Jesse, tell us, tell us a, a bit about how you got here, right? Your, your, your nationally syndicated radio show, you've had some runs in, in, in government. Uh, you actually were a, if I recall correctly, didn't you sell, uh, what did you sell in Arizona? Didn't you sell motorhomes? Um, just a wild story. Right? It is, it is an insane story. I'll, I'll give you kind of, I'll kind of give you the 30,000 foot view version of it. Uh, basically mm-hmm. I have a whole lifetime of making really stupid, impulsive decisions that normally end up in horrific failure. This one just kind mm-hmm. of ended up working out. Uh, I was born Ohio, construction family, just normal construction family. That's what we did. It's what my dad did. It's what his dad did. It's what I did when I was a teenager. We moved to Montana when I was 10. Uh, just normal childhood up there. Like I said, odd jobs, construction, hunting and fishing. I was a bad student, uh, hated school, despised school, went to college, after high school, got a 0.0 grade point average my first semester. That's actually true. Um, I had a lot of fun, but did not did not do very well in school. Didn't want to be there. Decided I needed to grow up after that one year of failure. Uh, so without telling my parents or anyone else, I joined the Marine Corps Infantry. Said they were not thrilled about mildly. This is back in <laughs> 2000. 
and uh, ended up doing, uh, I was part of the Iraq invasion, uh, led a squad during the Iraq invasion, came back, got out of the Marine Corps not long after we got back from Iraq, just a few months after we got back, moved to Arizona because my folks had since started a, their own little construction company and moved it to Arizona. So that's where I moved. Mm -hmm. I was working construction, going to community college. And ended up meeting uh, my wife down there on a blind date. Ended up getting involved politically. I'd never been involved in politics before, but getting involved politically. Uh, just started to get interested in politics. Got really mad. Barack Obama was running for president. And like I said, I make really stupid, huge, impulsive decisions, as you've already heard. So <laughs> I decided to run for Congress with no political experience. No one knew who I was. Um, ended up being one of the real hard right firebrands out there, won the primary against an establishment candidate, actually blew his doors off, and then almost beat uh, the Democrat there. The, the 4,000 votes was the separation. It took him about a week to recount Holy. the thing. Uh, so I was that close. Was, was, wasn't that Gifford you ran against? That was Gabrielle Giffords, uh, and this was right before she got shot. I had just lost to her, oh. and like two weeks later, she got shot in the parking oh, lot. shit. And then I ran again in the special election they had to have because she got shot, but I ran against her chief of staff who had also got shot, and so he killed. Just, I mean, he still had gunshot wounds, right? I didn't have a shot in that yeah, one. Out. So after that, it was over. Wanted to stay involved in politics. Mm -hmm. So once again, gigantic, the really stupid decision, packed up my entire family and moved back to Washington, D.C. to work for a political group for a year. I hated everything about it. Uh, living in D.C. was the worst experience ever. Everyone's so friggin' rude and it just, it sucked. Mm -hmm. So once again, I uh, quit my job with no other job, threw the entire family in a minivan that we had at the time and began driving through Red America because we wanted to move someplace that shared our values. So we're, I'm just driving through the Carolinas and Tennessee and Alabama mm -hmm. and Florida just looking for work. Get clear to Texas and I have no job. I have no options. Uh, this is, uh, I would say, it's seven, eight years ago, I would guess. No job, no options. Uh, decide we're just going to move to Texas anyway, and we moved to the Dallas area. And now I'm desperate for money, out of work and broke. Bills are piling up and found a job on Craigslist advertising an RV sales position. I'd never sold anything before, but I figured I could probably sell something. Went down there in a suit and tie. Everyone else was dressed like a turd because that's what people do these days. So I got hired immediately and I was apparently really good at it because they made me a sales manager in a year. I was the sales manager of the store. Eventually that company opened up a huge store in Houston. This is five years ago, I would say. And they asked me to come be a sales manager down there in the Houston area. And that was a lucrative business opportunity. So I said, yes. And I just moved to Houston and ended up uh, uh, doing RV sales here. And Michael Berry is a nationally syndicated sure. radio host, oh, too. Yeah. Yeah, he, sent me a, he sent me a message one day. I did not know him. I obviously knew who he was. I didn't know him. <clears throat> Off of something I put on social media, wanting me to come on his show as a guest, you know, just the guest spot. So from my RV sales, in, interior sales room, I just went and got on the phone and did a quick radio hit. No big deal. I, I, knew, it w I knew it went well. I knew media, right? I knew how to do that stuff. But I didn't think anything of it. So hung up the phone and went back to work. On my way home that night, I pulled in the Taco Bell drive-thru, got some food, and Michael Berry calls my phone. And just sat on the phone with him for 20 minutes getting to know him. We ended up getting to be very close, very good friends. We still are very, very close. 
And he eventually told me, he said, I think if you ever wanted to try a career in media, I think you could be really special at it. And so once again, I make a gigantic, impulsive, really stupid decision. And I quit a six-figure income job as a sales manager to attempt a really stupid career in media. That never works out, right? Uh, here I am talking to you guys. That's about three years ago, almost almost to the day. It's like a month separated from three years ago. I sat down uh, behind a microphone to do my first ever one-hour radio show at night on local Houston radio, and then that turned into two hours, and then that turned into a, a smaller national syndication company. God bless them. Key Networks picked me up, and I was on in like 10 cities, and then that skyrocketed into getting the phone call everyone in radio wants premier called and said we want you on our team and now i'm on 200 some stations talking to the country and i have no business being here that is my story <laughs> <laughs> a lot to unpack um well congrats because your your horrible decisions have brought you to um Gee, a, really good, a really good place man um yeah you know, I, I think your dr greg is going to you know obviously get your get your uh, your copay card here and 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 do some do some uh, psychology stuff on you but um in the meantime i, I would love to have oh, you i got i i'm sorry oh. i gotta i gotta ask a question do oh, you, yeah, go, you go, mind go, go. if i just jump in because oh, i'm sitting there making some notes yeah i just i just want i just it sounds too good like i want just the only thing i want to say greg is that i would love to just have some oh crap where am i in my life because that's what the show's about right it's people losing their jobs, people losing their vision, people getting diagnosed with cancer, getting, you know, having careers crash down. Jesse, you just always did a quick pivot and moved on to the next thing. So there's got to be some destruction, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Greg. Well, I, I think that's what's really interesting about Jesse is, and, and forgive me, I, I, but I mean, the, you know, the, the hazards of being a shrink. Um, you, you tell me if I'm right, you've created most of the oh crap moments in your life, true or false? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm always my own worst enemy. There's no question about that. Uh, uh, life always comes at you in various other ways, right? But yeah, uh, whenever there's been some horrific failure, I have been the author of it 100% of the time. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So so here's here's what I get from you. and this, it, You've got a super interesting profile going here. And, I, and I'll spit away from this and get over to, to what I really want to talk about because I'm, I'm really interested in your in your experience with the Marines and all but so you strike me if I were if I were just sitting here doing you know my assessment I go super high verbal and auditory IQ and people skills I mean super high off the charts um, super high boredom factor um, that creates impulsivity you have a super high need for stimulus and probably some issues with authority. Um, <laughs> he, he's killing you, Jesse. <laughs> but but overall, this profile profiles out to be a highly, highly successful, internally driven person who will probably succeed at whatever they do once they find the right spot. Well, I don't know about the successful thing, although that looks like it's probably going to work out. But other than that, boy, you you pretty much nailed me there, <laughs> Doctor Greg. I mean, the, the you you nailed that. That is all one hundred percent correct. Yes, yes. Uh, you're an interesting cat. Yeah, I can I can see. Yeah, this is going to be a fun interview to see the uh, the the chaos and how you got out of it. This is this is totally fun. Sorry, Patrick, I derailed you. No, no, no. This is dude, this is why this is why you and I do what we do. Um, so. 
so no, keep going, Greg. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I'd love to get into some of these moments where Jesse did have to, you know, do the pivot and uh, did hit you know, the proverbial brick wall. It's, it sounds like Jesse's a master at pivoting and just trying the next thing and, and succeeding at it. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about Jesse's personality type. Um, he'll figure out he doesn't want to be here. He'll blow it up and then he'll go do something better. And it's fun to watch these people. Um, but and, and I relate to you. I mean, you you and I have very similar patterns, but you've obviously done way more with your with your life. But one of the things that's really interesting, um, I was a cop for the first 10 years of my life. And I remember having this distinctive feeling at age 21, you know, driving around the streets around LA and going, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I even here? Right? Um, saw things that scare me still that I shouldn't have seen in a 10 year career. Um, and I'm just curious, looking back at your time in the Marines, especially, especially, you know, with the Iraq stuff that was going on and what you were doing, there was a combat veteran. I'm wondering how much of that do you look at and go, what the hell am I doing here? And it's made of like a permanent wrinkle in your brain. It definitely, uh, this is probably not the best way to put this, but I went to community college. I'm not a doctor. I, I it definitely made me more of a cynic. There's no question about that. Uh, about everything really and definitely about people definitely about human nature it did made me an extreme cynic about many things very very skeptical i was always kind of a natural skeptic anyway but very very skeptical and and, and i always i'm always looking for the angles whenever i'm talking to somebody because there generally is one so uh, iraq in general really really brought that out i remember there was this moment, I've called it the, the most revealing moment of my life. There was this moment in Iraq, we were a, a week into combat, I think, or something like that. And we would drive around on what are called Amtraks. For anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, just picture a tank without the big gun that carries troops in the belly of it. That's all. It's an armored, armored personnel carrier. But we were, we were driving through the country and that's where we were doing our fighting out of the Amtraks. And obviously you have a bunch of young, patriotic, ambitious Marines. And so we loved America, you know, we all, and so we would fly our flags very, very proud, fight for our country. I mean, rah, rah, everyone knows that stuff. And I remember, I'll never forget this moment as long as I live, we were parked somewhere waiting on our next orders and word came down from on high that we were to take down our American flags, that we did not want to appear as conquerors, whatever. We were not allowed to fly American flags. I will never forget that moment as long as I live. You want to tell me about driving around LA and having a moment thinking, what am I doing? That was a, what am I doing here? Well, that was a, well, hold on a minute. Then what, mm -hmm. what are we doing here? What, what is all this for? People are dying out here. What is, what is it? We're not allowed to, that, that really woke me up to a whole, and, and everything else you see kind of reinforces that. Yeah. Cause it gives you this sense of, well, one is who's running this show, right? And are they ashamed of us and are they ashamed of America? And if that's the case, then why are we here? Right? Yeah. And, and it just really, that's a huge part of it. And it really, it brought right in front of my face, the disconnect between the people who run this country, people who run our culture and normal people. And frankly, it, it, that was the beginning of me, and this is before politics, I wasn't even political. It, that was the beginning of me despising them. And, and that's only gotten worse. I genuinely despise the people who run the country for that. I don't think there's any care at all for normal people. They don't give them a second thought. Uh, I think they look at, look down on us. 
uh, openly look down on us, and I despise them for it. Um, which is how I think you probably got into this uh, platform that you have, and why you have been propelled so far into the into where most people don't ever get to with that kind of an audience and that kind of reach. Um, I, I'm sure what you're saying resonates with a lot of people. Um, Patrick, let's go back into what you were talking about earlier and, and, and mm-hmm. get into kind of those oh crap moments that you never saw coming. Yeah, Jesse, I mean, in, in throughout your, your life, you know, whether it was Iraq or whether it was, sounds like that was a pretty rough moment when they told you to pull the flags down. But what's been your lowest moment in your life, right? And because the listeners who are listening to this show are looking for inspiration, right? They're looking for, okay, here's Jesse now sitting on 200 plus radio stations, television show, wife, kids, living a great life, but it, it always hasn't been that way, right? So people are looking for that moment. Like, I think I told you, Jesse, when we first spoke, you know, I lost my vision at 28 years old. I got in a car accident and I woke up blind. So that was my low moment, right? And uh, I've had to fight back from that every day, right? And, and to this day, it's still the hardest thing I have to go through in my life. Um, but... I continue to overcome and deal with things the way I deal with them. Um, but how, what, what, tell, tell us a little bit about sort of the low moment in your life and sort of how you overcame that or what you say to people who, who do hit the brick wall. Oh, gosh, I've had so many. I, I've had so many. You know, I might have to do a couple here. Um, when, I got, when I got back from Iraq and got out of the Marines, I was really, really, really not doing well. I was a very violent very angry human being. I, I mentioned I was going to community college because I got out of the Marines. I went down to Arizona and I was working construction and then going to community college. And I, when I say not doing well, I, I would wear a baseball cap pulled very, very low. I would sit in the back of the class because I didn't want anyone to speak to me. I'm 23. I didn't even want to talk to girls. Like I'm, I'm that kind of angry. And I would have you know, daydream fantasies. Someone would ask some stupid question about just going up and bashing his head off the desk. Like had the really not doing well, not doing well. And then when I wasn't working or wasn't doing that, I would go stop at the gas station on the way home. I would get a bunch of beer and then I would go into my apartment. I lived alone and I would turn out all the lights and close all the blinds and I would sit alone in the dark and drink. So when I say not doing well, I mean not doing well at all. And that was one of those things. And this lasted for some time. And then eventually uh, my folks, because they were living there, they had found a church they loved and decided to go to that church and, and finally got back involved with that. And that that pulled me out of a very dark place. That in meeting my wife, potential wife, that pulled me out of a very, very dark place. But that's probably not even the lowest. The lowest for me was probably when I mentioned we moved from D.C., moved to Texas with no job. Uh, I can't for women on this, but I know as a man, I know mm-hmm. part of how we're made is we are supposed to provide. I don't give a crap yeah. how they try to redefine everything. A man views himself as a provider and should be a provider. And I was sitting there with no job and not just not just no job, no idea even what I wanted to do and no motivation to do mm-hmm. anything. It's not like there was something out there I wanted, right? I wasn't thinking, well, one day I'll have a, a media career nothing, or, or well, I want to be an accountant or, or whatever. I had nothing I wanted to do, but you're sitting there, you're running out of money. You're watching your bank account empty. You're watching the bills pile up and you don't have an idea to have an idea. There's nothing. There's nothing coming. That 
is a low, low moment. But again, I mean, I, the RVs, I ended up getting into another low moment too of just miserable and not wanting to be there anymore every day, knowing it's a good paycheck, but every day driving to work on a Saturday. Kids are going to go play baseball. They got a baseball game today. I don't get to go. I got to go sell RVs today, which I don't even want to deal. Oh, I don't even want to do anymore. That's just sucks the soul out of me. Yeah, I, I got to know about your drinking for a second here because that's one of the compulsive behaviors that you identified, and you you overcame that. What did you What did you do? I mean, I, I get church. We, you know, Patrick and I are both church guys too. Um, I get that, and I get you know your wife helped you kind of pull this together, but something internally told you this has got to stop. How How did you act on that? Well, it wasn't the drinking that had to, no, don't get me wrong, the drinking had to stop too. It's not like I don't drink, but the, the drinking like that and doing that that way had to stop. But it was more mentally overcoming the anger, overcoming the, I mean, I mentioned I'm a cynic and how much I despise the, but I mean, it was just a dark, dark, angry at everything, angry at everyone and time. I think I think a lot of times when people get low and mm -hmm. everyone has a low moment or low moments, I think when people get low, one of the biggest enemies that works against them in their mental state is they feel like it's going to last forever. Either they don't feel like there's an end to it, but there's always an end to it. There's always an end to the good times and there's always an end to the bad times. Life's all peaks and valleys. Right. And I try to tell people I'm actually uh, uh, got a great email to my show. I'm going to answer this tonight somebody's low and he doesn't have any motivation, doesn't want to do anything, and he's blowing it in his life and whatnot. Okay, then fine. Keep going. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to survive your whole life like that. You have to survive till tomorrow. And I knew that time would help and time did help. Some things just simply take time. That's all. That's powerful. Yeah. He, I had, I had behaviors in my life that I wanted to get rid of too. And church was ultimately, um, you know, sort of that quote unquote saving grace for me too. The problem I had, and I'm curious what your read is on this. The problem I had was because I don't like authority um, and bad relationship with parents, I sort of just transferred my distrust to God and didn't really believe that God does what he says he's going to do and, and that. Did you struggle with that at all? No, I found actually the opposite in that I found it comforting because he's the only one I did trust, the only one I do, you know, and then maybe that's not a healthy place to be either, but it was, it was more of no trust in man whatsoever. You're the only one I count on. Clearly, it was more of that, of, of I needed a soft place to land, and obviously, as is often the case, he was there to provide it. Uh, that's beautiful. You know, one thing you said, Jesse, which I, I want to I hit on is really the one day, right? The one day thing, the one day at a time thing. And I'm, I'm a recovering addict alcoholic, right? So I got 36 years sobriety. I went to rehab when I was 17. I, I went hard early, a family of alcoholics and addicts. So I grew up with the mantra of one day at a time. And that, that goes for non-alcoholics, alcoholics, because every day can be horrible. The next day can be fine. You can't project out right? You can't say you're going to be miserable forever. So I think what you're going to tell your listener is spot on, right? Okay, keep going. But tomorrow's tomorrow. Um, and that's a powerful thing for people who hit the blind spot, right? Where they just didn't see it coming. Um, 
don't know if you if you agree with that. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Cool. I totally agree. And one of the things I think as someone who has struggled with things like alcohol and things like I think one of the things people they forget or if you're on the outside looking in, you don't realize mm-hmm. is let's say you struggle with alcohol and let's say, like you mentioned, you do a day and you're clean and it feels good. Mm-hmm. And you do two, you, yeah. That turns into two days or three days. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go four or five days and man, you're clean sure. and you're set and you're through it. And then boom, day number six, oh. there you are leaving the liquor store, handle a vodka in mm-hmm. your hands and you go yeah. all in that night and you wake up the next day and what do you feel? You feel like it's all meaningless. You'll never overcome mm-hmm. it. You'll never do that. You screwed it all up. This will never last. What's it? You might as well give up. No, no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. As long as you're struggling, you're winning. The second yep. you stop struggling, that's when you're losing. That's when it's lost. It's fine. Pick it up and do that's it again great. the next day. That's life, man. Everyone has these things. People, mm. especially in this day and age of social media, people have this false view of everything of that they think. They think there are genuinely perfect lives out there. It's not just celebrities, right? They think they they think that neighbor across the street. Oh my gosh! And, and look at her; she's so much pr- more beautiful than I am. Look at that! Oh, look at him with his perfect jawline. He drives a Mercedes, and their kids are, of course, all captain of the swim team. And their life is so perfect, man. I promise you, they are as screwed up or more screwed up than you are, because everyone is. That's the nature of man. We're all fallen. I think probably one of my favorite sayings of all time is the happiest people I know are the people I don't know well. Yeah, oh, of course. Of course. Everyone thinks right. this designer <laughs> life. <laughs> like, I get that now, yeah. too, which is weird for me because now, you know, I'm in the public eye, right? And so I'm so new to that. But people will look, you know, and they think, wow, great career and beautiful wife and, and two great, great kids. And man, it's everything must be perfect. Of course, it's not perfect, man. I still have times when I drink too much. I still have times when my temper gets me in trouble. Uh, everyone, everyone has struggles. Everything imperfect. Every, every, everyone's life is that way. Just at different, different stages. Yeah. How do you, how do you deal with that? Because you're in the public eye right now, and and I, as I'm reading a little on your background and looking up stuff, I mean, people are horrible. I mean, it, it, not everybody, obviously, but man, some people are just horrible. And if you Google any of us, you're going to find stuff in there. You just go, oh man, you know, that's <laughs> why does that have to be there, right? Um, and and some people probably look at your life and go, um, you know, you were born on third base and thought you hit a triple, right? But you weren't. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure people see that. And then, the, back to the question I really wanted to pose to you, is how careful do you have to be? Because I mean, you you got a megaphone radio show. How careful do you have to be that you don't say the wrong thing? Not not, not at all. I, 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 is it, as anyone who listens to the show knows, I don't I don't hold back one bit. And a huge part of why the show, in my opinion, that's a huge part of why the show is taken off in a way that I don't know that a show has in decades with that speed, right? No show takes off like that with that speed, but that's because I don't hold back and I won't hold back. There is such a drift in this culture towards everybody on the left and the right saying nothing. No one says anything or there's a million different qualifiers. Oh, well, I just want to tell you, I want to get this. I want to get out ahead of this. Well, hold on. I just want everyone to know before I have this controversial opinion that I'm not a bad guy. I don't speak in that way. I, I don't talk like that. <laughs> and be, oh, what that's done is it's created a vacuum for me. I don't qualify squat for you. I, I, you don't you don't 
that's that I view that as being disrespectful to everybody listening when you have to speak in that way with all these qualifiers, with all these please don't criticize me things. Like you mentioned what people say and how horrible people are. That doesn't bother me at all because I didn't value your opinion beforehand. I don't value it when you're ripping on me. I don't and I don't and I, maybe maybe this yeah. is disrespectful, but yeah, I don't respect you. I, I don't I, you've never you've done nothing in my life to earn my respect. So your opinion it's not that it bothers me or, or or anything. It just doesn't mean anything to me. If you told me an ant on the sidewalk was mad at me, that would mean as much to me as some the new thing the left is mad at me about. It means nothing. Which to me. which is why I think your show has had the trajectory it has. Is 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 sort of if you look at the world right now and cancel culture, and how everybody is roaming around the the earth looking for a reason to be offended, and and making it up when they can't find it, and you're here going. I don't care. I really don't want to hear it. This is who I am. If you don't like me, that's fine. Well, people love to be offended. That's the secret a lot of people don't realize. We, we do have this culture where everyone's offended by everything, but something people don't understand is that people genuinely love to be offended. They love it. That, they seek it out all the time. I'm, I, this is offensive. I'm offended. I find this offensive. Why? Because all of a sudden you've created this victim aura around yourself where everyone can look at what's offended you and what's offended you and what's offended. I don't give a crap if you're offended. What does that mean to me? I've told my boys they're not allowed to use that word. I don't ever want to hear unfair or offended. I'm not offended. Why Why are you offended? Either. There's nothing you could say to me, anybody, that would offend me. Nothing. You could insult my wife, kids. You can insult my face, my shoes. It doesn't, my, my belief system. None of that would matter to me because I know what I think about those things. Why are you offended all the time? Why? Because you love it and you want to seek it out and you want to post about it on social media and brag about how offended you are. I, I just don't get that. That's not me. Yeah, let me, let me. I, lo I love it. I love this. <laughs> I'll give you the, the therapist view of exactly what you said and why you're 100% right. Um, we are so starved for a sense of importance and and being meaningful in in our lives and we feel so meaningless at the baseline that if we can figure out a way to feel insulted and hurt and mad uh, or disrespected or you did something that that makes me upset and we post it it makes the person feel valued and important value it's, mm -hmm. it's the least it does it's the complete opposite but that's what's been fed to americans well, we have an upside down culture now, and it's not something that I know. It's not something that I know that can be fixed. Uh, we have a culture. And again, this is one of those things that goes across the board where being a victim of something, it really is the most sought out thing. Like, uh, like if you go back to like ancient Rome, I'm sure you guys, you guys already know all this stuff, but pe people may not know in ancient Rome, if you were a well-to-do family, one of the higher class families, and let's say you're a young boy, young girl, you would have a room in your home with faces in it, face casts. And what were they? You would walk into this room and all of your relatives, your uncle, your grandpa, your great, great grandpa, who had accomplished all these great things, when they died, they would do a cast of their face and their face would be in this room and you would walk in this room and you would frequently be told about their great deeds and this is what this person accomplished and he designed this and he fought this battle and he did this. And you were told, like you were given that mission in life, that is your mission in life is achievement. You will achieve, you will achieve, you will, you will succeed mm -hmm. and achieve. America, we have a room of victimhood in every single home now. 
of this is why you're offended and this is why you can't make it and this is why this sucks and you don't have a chance here and oh, make sure you've been oppressed here. And it's what people genuinely seek. Our most successful people, our biggest success stories, many of them in this country, they still seek to be victims. Somebody like uh, LeBron James is a great example of this. LeBron James had a horrible childhood. Dirtball father runs out on him. And now you become this megastar where you built yourself into this supreme athlete. And now you're a billionaire and one of the most famous faces in the world. You are the American dream. You are. And what do you get from LeBron James? Whining all the time. Dying to be. He wants to be a victim of racism so bad he committed a race hoax on his own home. And the cops showed up to look at the racist graffiti they sprayed on and he said, oh, sorry, we already cleaned it up. You've achieved everything, but you still have to go back to that victim room. And that's the one thing you can't quite achieve. And that's what you really, really need. It's a really sick place to be as a country, but that's where we are. One good thing about being blind, Jesse, I can't see any of that crap. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Neither could the cop. I don't post. I don't post. I don't. And you know, Greg will tell you me my background, but you know, and what I've been able to do is victim is you know it it is it's not even a word I can mention, right? Yep. Um, and it is it's powerful to hear you say those words, right? Because I think people, especially the media, at the size you are in terms of your, your your media presence, it's great to hear that because I think it is a a society of participation trophies right and everybody's so worried about saying the wrong thing um and I, I have a daughter who's 18 who is you know just went to college and she you know she's got a mind of her own and it, there's just so much social media and there's so much bs out there um i know we're running long i know we're running long jesse and i know you're slaying but uh greg any any final words for jesse been a really good interview i mean it's made me think and made me also grateful that jesse you got a you got a microphone so yeah um, this has been a lot of fun can i do a quick blindside round with you jesse sure so this is i'm going to ask you a couple questions and um just you know kind of say the answer or pass if you don't want to if you don't want to answer it don't answer it right so have you ever been fired from a job yes my father when I worked for him, fired me. It's the only time I've ever been fired. Uh, I was working construction. He was a superintendent. The tool shed. Someone lost the keys to the, the Connex box that day. He. I came home that night. He'd had a bad day. He accused the uh, accused me of having lost them. I actually did not lose them. We got in a huge fight. I never get in a fight with my dad. He fired me. I uh, woke up the next day, slept in with no job. My dad called me at like noon to yell at me for not being at work. So I went back to work the next day. It's the only time I've ever been fired. Yeah. <laughs> and and has have you forgiven him for that? Oh, gosh, yes. One of the great stories of all time. It's great radio stories. All right, then, the time you're most scared in your life. Oh, my gosh. Time I was most scared in my life. Uh, I'm, I don't remember a bunch of fear in my life. I just don't. I don't remember. I don't remember a time where I get where I was paralyzed with fear. No, I, don't, I don't remember. That's interesting. I mean, especially with war experience. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. War was very. I found it to be very, very surreal. I'm not going to say we were never nervous or never scared or anything like that. But I, I almost was uh, separated from it, if that makes any sense at all. Almost like looking back on it now, it's like someone else was doing. Yeah, it. I get that. I was shot at a couple times, and it never felt yes real. 
um, as, yes. as a cop, right? It's just, no, this is just, yeah, I, I, I get that feeling. Um, biggest epic fail in your life? Oh, man, I've had so many. Biggest epic fail in my life? Uh, I wonder... I wonder if my career or whatever would have been, I wonder if it could have taken a much different path if I ever developed any discipline when it came to school. I hated it to the point where I resented it, so I didn't try at it. And I just, I'm always, I've always wondered, you know what, maybe I would have been a lawyer or something. Who knows? I, I, you never know. I'm not, it's not a regret, but that is embarrassing. That is a failure. Oh, that's interesting. I, I would submit to you that is the worst thing you could have right. done is tried to discipline. Oh, I'm happy how it worked out, but that's that's a huge failure. Yeah. That would have crushed your soul, believe me. Um, uh, last last question, who who was the biggest inspiration in throughout your life? My father. My father is a tough, he's just tough as nails. That There's no whining, there's no nothing. When I was a kid, or actually just before I was a kid, sorry, I wasn't even here yet. My folks were real poor, living in a crappy, over-the-garage apartment they were renting. And my father, it, trying to get enough money for a down payment for their home, was working 17-hour days, uh, putting up drywall and busting out floors in a mall. And he was working an hour from where they lived. So he would get home. Uh, my mother would have a meal ready for him. She'd feed him right away so he could go down to sleep for three, four hours. He'd wake up, she'd have his huge lunch ready, and he'd have to grab his lunchbox and go. And he did that for six months, making double time to afford down payment on their new home. How do you tell a guy like that, hey, dad, I don't feel like going to work? Has your, has your dad told you he's proud of you for what you do? Extremely, yes. Now, those... My dad telling me he's proud of me is not something that, that comes easy or came often at all. But yes, he yes, he has, especially in recent years. He's very, very, very proud. Again, when I quit a great job to go pursue a media career, he told me I was an idiot and crazy. But to, to watch <laughs> it uh, succeed and just grind through it, he's very, very proud. And it's told me so. I love that. That's fantastic. Jesse, thank you so much. I mean, obviously, Jeremy Price... Good friend of both Greg and I. We do a lot of business with Jeremy over the years, um, and uh, he was he was great. He, he was gracious at getting us lined up for the interview. Um, so no, I really appreciate it. It's been really insightful. I think you know, the listeners will really get some motivation here. You know, you've had some dark times and you've come out, and you know the one day at a time thing is a really strong message. And uh, no, we're we're good, man. I, we really appreciate your time today, Patrick, Doctor Greg, be good fellas. All right, brother. Have a great rest of your day. Yep. Talk to you soon. That was amazing. Uh, Jesse Kelly, I mean, the, the stories, I had no idea, Greg, that, that he, he was right there. He, he could have almost won the seat in Arizona with zero political experience. Um, you know, the Iraq stories about getting back to his apartment and just sitting in a dark room and drinking and just some of those, he had some dark days. What did you think as a, as a shrink? I mean, I'm sure you were, you were ready to, ready to do, do, some, do some extra work there. <laughs> no, you know, guys like guys like Jesse, I, I really enjoy talking to. I, I think mm -hmm. the more um, the word gets overused, authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think that is probably the best descriptor of, of a guy like Jesse who. See if people can 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 relate to what I'm going to say. Jesse has a life of what I would call self-inflicted wounds. And and we do, too. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, with your blindness, mm -hmm. um, you had a you had an accident that kind of triggered this, right? Yep. Y your blindness. Mm -hmm. So 
Is that a self-inflicted wound? I don't know. Were you, I think I remember, but had you been drinking or doing anything when you had your accident or was it just sort of like no. you just got hit? No, I was 10 years, 10 years sober, but it okay. didn't mean I wasn't a bad driver. <laughs> it did. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing you bring up real quick because there is some of that, right? I mean, I've broken my pelvis, punctured my lung, broken my collarbone for, I mean, I've been through five car accidents, four or five car accidents. I've been through cancer. I've been through tumors. I've been through it all. A lot of it is self-inflicted, right? I was a daredevil. I was, and even to this day being blind, you know me, Greg, I mean, how many meetings have we been in where I felt the waitress up by accident or I've, <laughs> but I don't, I don't do it. I just keep going. I just keep banging my head into a wall. I probably have a scar on my head right now from over the weekend where I hit a wall but I just keep going. And so maybe that is inflicted. Um, it served me well, cause I don't give up. I put something in my mind that I keep going, but, but it's interesting. It probably was somewhat, in, you know, self-inflicted. And, and that's the point. And with, with Jesse, what I appreciate about what you just said and what I appreciated about Jesse is people who own their self-inflicted wounds are powerful <laughs> people. They, they are people who don't play victim and they don't say, poor me, or you owe me something, or this is because you did this to me. Those are the people that go, man, I made some bad choices in my life and I was in a dark place, but I put myself in that dark place, but I got myself out of that dark place. Yeah. So, you know, those are the difference between self-inflicted wounds and truly something, you know, dramatic happening to you that you had no say or no control over. So I, th mm -hmm. I think that was a super powerful thing that, that he shared with us. And I think the, just the honesty that he brought with, you know, have you ever been fired? Yeah, my dad fired me. <laughs> right? Um, you know, I, I think that I think that was powerful. And the stories of of when he was in in the in war and mm -hmm. you know kind of feeling a bit out of place and and where and how you can be shot at and it doesn't feel real i mean those are some those are some interesting characteristics of a guy that i think is going to be super um successful in whatever he does yeah no question that's a great interview i i i appreciated your questions and i think uh Excited to have him on. So, uh, no, I, until next time, uh, we have some great interviews coming up. Wow, there's some really inspirational people out there that have overcome tremendous hurdles. And it keeps going back to, in my opinion, right? It keeps going back to people that get hit and get knocked down. They're interesting people, right? If they get back up and they keep trying. And that's where my life is sort of centered around is I just keep going. I just keep trying. And one thing he did say, and I'll wrap after this, he did say in, in our interview he tells people, listen, you had a crappy day. You got fired today. You had a horrible thing happen to you today. Okay, that's today. Let's not say what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Let's just say you had a shitty day today. I, 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 will, I will leave it with the least interesting people in the world are those that haven't had a, a, a world full of self-inflicted wounds and other inflicted wounds in their life. I, I don't have time for Amen. that the proverbial person who was born on third base and thought they hit a triple. Amen. Uh, I don't have time for celebrities. I, I you know I'll, I'll make all the time in the world for people like yourself mm -hmm. and like Jesse Kelly who have you know had a a two lifetimes full of crap and come out of it better for it. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I'll leave it with my, my daughter told me what, you know, all the girls in her, you know, at high school at the time were you know, cheerleaders and they were doing all this perfect stuff and the social media was perfect. And I said, what do you think about so-and-so? And she said, ah, they peaked early. <laughs> <laughs>
I said, they peaked early. She said, yeah, I didn't peak in high school, Dad. I said, all right, all right. <laughs> um, all right, thanks, 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 Rick. I appreciate your time today, buddy. You bet. Special thanks to Jesse Kelly for his participation in this episode. Patrick Lennon and Dr. Greg Sinamone would also like to thank Craig Kitchen for his assistance with this podcast. Blind Spot is a production of ROI Media 360.